Hey everybody, this is Keach Rainwater with the Designated Drummer Podcast, and this week I have the most amazing guest here, Mr. Kim Mitchell. Hi, Keach. Hey, good to see you nice again. Nice to see you as we meet up here in Canada. Yeah, right, we're up here in Canada, we're up here in, uh, right around the Toronto area, and um, Kim Mitchell is a Canadian rocker, and I don't know if uh, a lot of you remember back in the 80s, there was a big hit called Go for a Soda. Might as well go for a soda, nobody... Well, you should sing it. I, I can't sing it. Anyway. Okay, first it's Go for Soda. <laughs> go for Soda. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Go for it Soda. It sounds oh. like we're singing Go for Soda. Yeah. Might go as for, well uh, go for a soda, nobody hurts and nobody yeah. cries. So the A isn't even in there. It's just Go for Soda. It kind of is... When I sing it, it sounds like I am singing it, but no, it's not in the title. Yeah, so it's when you're just going, not in yeah. the title. When you're and going for the word soda, you, there's an A in there somehow. You know what, Keith? <laughs> there's, there's only two things I correct people on um, in my career. And the, the first one is, it's go for soda. And the second one is, is Rush recorded with us. We didn't record with oh, Rush. Right. We, we did a song called Battle Scar. And everybody's like, hey, I really like that song you did with Rush. I was like, no, Rush did it with us. <laughs> right, <laughs> so, yeah. It's reverse. Yeah, those are the people, only two things I, I correct people on. But it's funny how perception is just the name of the game in this business. If yeah, you, that's okay. Yeah. There's reality and there's perception. And yeah. the two are so different with yeah. each other you know i mean when we had the song amazed had come out we were on the grammys we were nominated for grammy and we were on the red carpet nobody knew who we were mm-hmm. and we had at that time we had the number one song had it, amazed had crossed over to pop uh on the pop charts was number one on the pop charts on the adult uh, contemporary and we had a second song that we released after amazed called smile on the country charts that was number one for two weeks number one chart position on both charts and nobody knew who we were. So that's right. just a good lesson in perception. Well, you have a guest on that most of your people won't know who I am either right now. Well, so. I bet you now they'll look it up. They'll they'll look on here and they'll go, uh, Kim Mitchell, huh? I'm going to look that up. You know, sometimes people people think of Gopher Soda in the States especially, and they, um, they start to sing. Well, they don't sing the song, but they go, hmm, why am I, why am I, thinking reminding why does that song remind me of uh of twisted sister um because twisted sister song came out at exactly the same time on exactly the same label right and it was it was like a you know two bugs crawling up a wall (laughs) it was like all of a sudden there's go for soda was doing really well in this market and then that state you know um Oh man, it was just and finally they they sort of stretched out and and the label just went okay let's just knock that bug off the wall and that was sort of the end of our right. of our our chance but there was there's a few other you know had a, have had a great career so I can't complain. Well, I wanted to start with uh, talking about how you started out like as I don't mean like even in your career just as like growing up did you was that epiphany moment when you picked up a guitar and you just knew that's what you wanted to do or did it sort of sure, ramp into sure. that? it was a real simple thing it was sitting on my father's lap watching elvis presley on the ed sullivan show there i'm completely right. dated either the beatles or elvis it, it would depend on what it, it was know. elvis it was right. actually yeah. Elvis. Yeah, it was. you know how a lot of people say well when i saw either, the beatles on yeah yeah <laughs> yeah the 90s hadn't happened yet um <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah it was that and uh uh it was wasn't wasn't the screaming audience at all that that attracted me to it. I just was attracted to the the music and the guitar and and became obsessed. Now I'm a young boy when this happened. It was five years old, and my parents finally got me a guitar, and I played and played and played and played. But you know, I didn't even know how to tune the thing. So um, it wasn't until I was about eleven years old that I kind of got it. It wasn't, it wasn't until uh, I was 11 years old I started to take lessons, and by then the Beatles started to, oh, what, what would that be? No, I'm not sure. Anyway. Well, <laughs> but you were, like, totally inspired. Um, did you have a good teacher? Um, like th- Guitar th- that teacher? That sort of helped you along, that, that made a difference? Yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of, uh, I think any musician, any musician who's listening, YouTube's a great place to learn stuff. There's a wealth of, of stuff going on there, but... Mm, to me, the one-on-one with a human being, right. a teacher who who can watch, uh, just for an example, uh, well, any anybody, drummers included, watching the balance of your hands yeah. on a guitar player, watching the left hand, that are, instant are, feedback. Are fing- of, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. a there's a thing there he, he or she can correct you with uh, with stuff right away. So 
Yeah. Um, I think, I think it's, yeah, my first teacher was great. Yeah. And, and it's so be it. Uh, I remember this story sitting, having my guitar lessons and, and you have a brush cut and you're a real nerdy kid and you have this little electric guitar and you're waiting out in the, in the waiting room and, and you hear this cool music playing this one, the guitar player before you and, and out comes this guy and he has like a white shirt turned up and he's got the hair slicked and he's got a Fender Jaguar and he was playing all these kind of rock licks and I'm just, he walks out and I'm going, wow, man, that's like the coolest sound in there. And then it was like the coolest looking dude I'd ever seen. I'm, you know, <laughs> oh, it was amazing. And it's kind of a turning point where I became interested in the pentatonic scale, I guess, the, you know, the, wow. the, the rock sort of stuff and wanted to learn how to do some of that stuff. So you had a, a, a little bit of natural ability plus some of this training from the scales and some um, yeah, really good... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I got interested in rock pretty early, like uh, like most of my friends, but but I like the fact... Yes, I like the fact, and I, I thought it, was, it played a, a good role in my development as a musician to have a teacher. And I had teachers... I had a teacher later on in my teens, and then when I came back from the Isle of Rhodes in Greece when I was 21. I wanted to ask you about that. Like yeah, the I lived on the Isle of Rhodes. I lived on the Isle of Rhodes in Greece uh, for a year, backing up a Greek Tom Jones. Mm. Nobody told him that he wasn't really? Tom Jones. But <laughs> <laughs> it was, it, he was really cool. He was, it, it was a good gig, and it was paradise over there. Um, but I came back to form a band called Max Webster, who ended up uh, touring with Rush a lot in the United States. Um, Quite a bit. Well, before you talk about Max Webster, I wanted to talk about Zoom a little bit. Didn't you have a Didn't you have a band called Zoom Z O O O M yes, or something like that? That's right. What yeah. was that? What was that? Well, that was a band that that uh, small town we grew up in, and it was a few hours outside of Toronto, and Sarnia, right? That's right. Yeah. And at seventeen, I quit school and quit home, and not something I recommend, but it was something. You know, music was calling yeah. me, and a, and you, that moment when you go. Yeah, we're gonna move to Toronto, and your parents are going. Oh, that's nice. As soon as you finish high school and all that stuff, you know, you're probably having that. <laughs> and you're like, conversation. yeah. Let me just you interject know, there. <laughs> you, you you know that conversation, and it was like, no, actually, we're leaving next week, and rented a house for 150 bucks, a band house for 150 bucks a month in a major city in Toronto, in Canada, Toronto, and and we did okay. We played our own stuff. It was yeah. all, and now, you know. I'm going to say that's the time in my life as a musician where I developed the most as far as found my music. I think every musician needs to find their own style and their own music, and that's where I found mine. It might have been um, enhanced somewhat by the inhibition, uh, you know, some the odd bit of drugs that were hanging around <laughs> yeah. at, at the time. and uh, What year would this have been? The this 60s? Was, well, yeah. Well, let's see. Late well, 60s, maybe. Seven, yeah, so 17. So born in 52, 62. Yeah, seven, yeah. late 60s. And, and um, yeah, Jimi Hendrix records playing in the house and hippy-dippies all abound. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, we jammed all the time. We lived our kind of row housing and next door some... These three convicts that that just got out of jail and they came busting through the house one night and we're like little kids, right? We're just teenagers and these mean-looking dudes come flying down, you know, bang, the door flies open. They don't wow. even knock and they come down. And they go, "You guys got any booze?" And we're like, "Oh um, my god, they, we're, we're your neighbors." <laughs> We just got out of the Don jail, and I remember the three of them. I can almost still see their faces, and Golly. we're like, uh, "No, we don't have any. We don't have any drinks. We can't. <laughs> we can't afford it, right?" And um, yeah. but uh, so I, we had some aftershave and stuff like that. So yeah. it, we gave them. They became good friends. Finally, they were like, "Hey, anybody gives you any hassle, you go ahead and play whenever you want and jam." So <laughs> it was like one of those whew, moments. Wow. Um, were you writing then? Was that like that whole Zoom thing? Had you started writing then or no, were you still just learning your guitar was, craft? was not a songwriter then. The guy in Zoom, Jim Chevalier was his name. He was the songwriter in the band. So we were doing all our own stuff. We opened up for a few bands that came through town. I think Alice Cooper came through. We opened up for Alice. We opened up for, I believe it was a band called Scott Richard Case. SRC, okay. I think we recall. Uh, they're from the States as well. Um 
So there would have been in that area a lot of Detroit music yeah. bands or yeah yeah Detroit was down the road basically yeah, right. from Toronto a few hours right yeah and I grew up I grew up in a border town that was about forty minutes out of Detroit there was a so, lot of music coming out of Detroit in the late sixties a lot I mean, of great rock and roll Alice stuff. Cooper the Rationals uh, Mitch Bob Ryder Seger Detroit Bob Seger Mitch, Mitch Ryder Detroit Wheels MC Five I opened up for the MC Five oh really Zoom opened up for MC Five. And, Motor uh, City, the MC stands for Motor City yeah, yeah, and Motor Five, C and it was yeah, like Motor a, City Five, yeah, MC Five. What were they kind of like the Rolling Stones sound kind of thing? No, kind of a raw. little bit, just just sort of, yeah. You just have to check them out. Kick out the jams, yeah, MF. You know, um, it was crazy. The National Guard surrounded the whole place that for that gig, and wow. that that was a that was you know we're just kids opening up. It was at Kellogg College and was it Ann Arbor or wherever Kellogg College is. Um, Man, that was a crazy gig. Wow, we shared the same dressing room with them. And, and oh, man, the MC, what a wild time. the MC5 Stompers came in. That was their girlfriends who made their clothes and managed them. <laughs> and it was just a surreal wow. experience, man. It was just, uh, it was cool, though. We did we did okay. We opened up for them. And, and a band that has girls that make their clothes for them. That is pretty cool. Yeah. What did, the, how, what did that go? How come that is not a thing now? <laughs> yeah. I missed out on that. Totally. Sorry, I, if this is wandering around a bit. <laughs> oh no, it's later. great. It's great. Um, where, now, when you were with uh, Zoom, this this is before you went to the Greek Isles, right? Yep. Um, in Zoom, were you were you playing lead then, lead guitar yep. shredding and all yep. that stuff? Yeah, I was. I was, lead, I was a lead guitarist. I wasn't shredding at all. I was just a lead guitarist. Um, I didn't have any fast licks. It didn't. It wasn't entering my mind. It was kind of the time of Jimi Hendrix and. Those kind of bands, yeah. you know, Led Zeppelin. More melodic kind of thing. Yeah, so. yeah, song-driven, uh, play the part, serve the song. And I guess that's where, right. where I learned yeah. a bit of that vibe, right? Sure. And I think also it may have informed your recording, because you're a recording artist. Like, when you're in the studio, that's a whole nother world of, like, of discipline and, you know, melody and choices and things. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be... Um, just on your way up. And I think you mentioned one time when you went to the Greek Isles that you started practicing a lot and that, that had a huge Yeah, I practiced every day. I practiced in Greece. I practiced every day for uh, three hours a day. Wow. And um, I didn't really know what I was practicing. I, I was just kind of <laughs> doing some scales and kind of, you know, trying to find my way on the guitar. But it was something to do every day in, in this beautiful paradise. And We got dogs out here barking. Yeah, sorry about here. that. That's, that's my dog, like, freaking uh, out, going, where's my dad? So, uh, yeah, I would imagine that just being down in the Greek Isles and having all that time to yourself to yeah. practice and all that. It's like, I think I read a story one time where um, Eric Clapton had spent... A year, a solid year or two, just like locked in his room, doing oh. nothing but playing guitar. And that had to have had some kind of effect on his playing. Or sure, sure. Um, it probably did, but um, it, it wasn't until um, I got back from the Greek Isles to Toronto to form Max Webster. But the reason to form Max Webster, my band Max Webster, in the 70s was to study from a specific guitar teacher. Oh, was that right? Yeah, yeah. I, I sought out a guitar teacher when I was in Greece. Um, so you started a band with your guitar, what would be your guitar teacher in the future? No, I didn't start a band with him. I, I went, I moved back from Greece to go study with a teacher in Toronto. Oh, I see, right. And I needed to make some dough. Oh, I see, okay. So we started a band, and it was Max Webster. <laughs> so it was just a means to an end, and yeah, you needed money yeah, and to, it was, for guitar in the lessons? Band, the original guitar player of Max Webster was Daryl Sturmer, who's with Phil Collins in Genesis. He's oh, been, right, okay. Yeah, so um, it all kind of started in a town called Windsor, Ontario, which was right across the, the bridge from Detroit, Michigan. And... Uh, and he didn't he didn't work out um, because he didn't I guess they weren't getting any gigs. So that's when I came on board and and the bass player moved to Toronto. And that's when we started Max Webster. And I was basically there to study from yeah. this teacher. So and that was that was a really cool time for me learning a little more on the guitar. And I guess that's when I started to shred as you say a little yeah, bit right, yeah. it was because it was the time of mahavishnu orchestra john mclaughlin now yeah. i remember coming back from greece and the first artist guitar player i heard was john mclaughlin and i was like what is this it was sort of the fusion jazz 
you know, thing. So yeah, I notice a lot of your music, especially some of the well, I mean, all through the all through your albums have kind of that real, I don't know what to call it, jazz, not jazz fusion. It's very rock, but but the guitar in there and just the figures and the, the chord progressions and stuff are very, very progressive, like very like fusion almost, you know. Yeah, get out your get out your slide ruler and calculator. I'm right. sorry about that. <laughs> no, I mean it's great. I love it. I mean because I was a big Gino Vanilli fan. Oh yeah, yeah. growing up that that yep. was a huge influence on me. And of course Mark Craney and all the drummers, Vinny Caliuta that played with him. He always yep. chose the best drummers in the world. He had a Canadian drummer for a while too. Oh right, yeah. yeah. Graham was, Lear was was Graham his Lear. name. Yeah, I yeah. I know was, Graham and and um, that was in the early '70s, kind of like when yeah. we first started out, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. And oddly enough, uh, before covid in canada up here in the in the prairies out in saskatchewan he was on a festival and and we played we played after him which i thought was kind of strange i thought he and but it was what was cool about gino is he he showed up at this festival and wanted to rehearse for four hours you're kidding so before the audience came he he started like at 7 30 in the morning with his band because he used a horn section a local horn section so right. he wanted to rehearse them it was fascinating was i was in my room so i could hear them i could hear him from the stage and just rehearsing these tunes and it, yeah, of course it was something like it was music. brilliant when he yeah. when he came on he used wow. a lot of track though Oh, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The horns, ah, da, 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 oh, yeah. all that stuff, it's it's all track, too, but there's horn players playing it, too, so that's why it's so powerful sounding. Yeah. It sounded like you were just singing the, the horns to uh, You Gotta, gotta move, move. Gotta Move. I was a huge Gino Vanilli fan. Um, uh, so um, when, you, when you started playing with Max Webster, by the way, where, where did the word Ma Max Webster is a person's name but but there was nobody in the band called max webster no no once again like the story goes back to daryl Sturmer uh being in the band and starting the band and they they were like well what are we going to call this band and they said well let's get uh, somebody's name but not anybody in the band and they had a song called so uh song for webster and the band i believe was called family at max at the time okay so, so that's where it came from Max Webster. so yeah. it's just kind of a combination of different things yeah. hey, that sounds cool kind of like leonard skinner you know that's not an that's actual, right well actually leonard skinner was their old high school gym coach yeah. that hated guys with long hair and all that you know yeah. so they just kind of as a yeah and here's know. here's i'm not sure if this is any interest to anybody listening to the podcast but max webster there was a max webster boulevard outside of toronto so fans, when, when Max Webster started to do well, fans would go steal the street sign. And then the cops would come to our dressing room all the time and go, have you got the street sign? We go, yeah, yeah, we got it. <laughs> like, so we had a good relationship with the cops. <laughs> yeah, that keeps, someone keeps stealing it. We're going to have to name the street something else. But uh, yeah, so Max Webster. Now, I remember, and I think I've told you this story before. I remember we saw you. Uh, I was in high school junior year in high school junior senior we went to go see rush and you guys were opening up that's and, right uh, and actually saw you on the highway driving back to dallas from fort worth it was at the tarrant county convention center in fort worth a friend of mine and i drove up saw rush and all that and i was completely blown away by you guys i mean thank like, you. you guys i it was one of the first concerts i had ever seen i saw the cars one time and i don't remember who opened for them they were that that not impressive, I guess. I don't remember. But um, but for you guys, when opening up for Rush, I never forgot it. I never forgot. There was like a, um, you did your music and this bass solo that the bass player at the time, which just like had this minute and a half or something of just this amazing bass solo that I've never heard a bass solo before. Right. And he, did he play with a pick or something? Yeah, like, he did. Man, he was all over that thing. Yeah, that yeah. Incredible. Yeah, that uh, that probably was Dave Miles then at that at that time maybe unless it was the original bass player mike tilka but uh yeah it was in 1980 1970 yeah 80 1980. okay 80 yeah i'm bad with years and uh, there was a few variants of a uh, few variants of max webster um when you say pick though it, it starts to sound like dave miles who was the bass player after yeah. the original mm -hmm. bass player because he played with a pick a lot and he was he could he could turn it into a little bit of a guitar thing too. Yeah, like right. play it a little bit like that. Had had some great harmonic knowledge and knew his way around uh, chords and stuff like that really well. So. Wow. So um, so then Max Webster had a lot of success and all that, and um, then you decided we, to go we, solo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We Max Webster, you know, if so, some of your audience who who listens to this, Max Webster toured with Rush a lot. 
we went through every major American city. We went through all the secondary markets with Rush. We were there all the time. And I'll tell you why, because we were managed by the same people. Oh, so, I see, right. So, yeah. and we were on the same label. So, and Rush liked us. Mm -hmm. They really did, they, and we liked them too. So it was a really good hang, and um, um, I got to know those guys really well. There's a lot of backstage stuff, a lot of, you know, they they sort of, and, and they, taught, they taught me a really good, important lesson about musicians and about record companies and publishers and managers and it's like because we watched them go through their period around caress of steel before you know that album kind of didn't do so well and they're kind of yeah. faced okay what are we going to do how what, what's going to happen now and and we watched them sort of form their attitude which rubbed off on me i just thought it was great that they went hey you know what this is our life. This is our music. Let's do it our way. And, you know, we don't, we're not stop listening to the record company pressure. Let's stop listening to managers. Those, we're not working for them. They're working for us. So right. if we go down, we're going to go down on our terms and, and from the decisions and mistakes we made. And, and that's when, you know, the next album just came out and it was like... Moving pictures, right? Yeah. Moving, and yeah. Just all of a sudden, I, I can, you know... Keach, I can picture the day it was, we were all standing on stage and they had just, we had just finished our sound check and, uh, and they were sort of just hanging around the stage because they'd watch our sound check sometimes. And I remember sort of just kind of standing by my amps and, and uh, Getty and Alex came out and they went, holy smokes, man, our album just went platinum in America. And, and, and like, we all just, our jaws dropped, you know, including theirs, they were like, they were like, I can't believe it. It's just like, we're like, wow, man. Of course, I'm thinking, hey, maybe that'll happen to us too someday, <laughs> which it never did, but that's cool, you know. Um, but we did play with them a lot. We went to Europe with them, and um, uh, so it was, it was fun times. Wait, now, Paul DeLong, your drummer, that was with your solo project. He wasn't that's with right. Max Webster? No, no, Paul came along. Well, whoever the drummer was, I'm sure, was in heaven. You know, it was Gary, on Max Webster, it was yeah. Gary McCracken. Gary McCracken. And yeah. I imagine him just every night watching Neil, Neil Peart play and just, you know. Cause yeah, like, well, vice versa. Uh, Neil would play our set every night. He His his drum kit was scrimmed. Oh, really? Oh, I and, see. So and and we would play, <laughs> and Neil loved warming up. So he would he, he said to us, he said, hey, can I, can I play to your set? I know your set. He says, <laughs> he says can I just, like, play along? And we're like. Well, how are you going to say no to the headliners? Like, yeah, sure, go ahead. So on stage, we heard two drummers like most most nights, wow. and no one knew he was there. There was no mics turned on. Wow. So you'd be playing this arena and like warming you, up, playing out, your out set. front. Out front, you're hearing <laughs> Gary McCracken and Max Webster play, but Neil on stage, we're here. I'm I'm hearing him like thrashing away back oh, right. there, wow. but playing the exact same lick. So it wasn't like yeah, it was cool. That's that was cool. his That's way a great of warming story. up. I never Never, I never would have thought of, that he would ever do anything like that. I mean, oh no, no, and he and he would he was he was a sweetheart man. He he would, he would just say, "Is it okay?" We're like, "Yeah, man, it sounds great." I loved it. Like two drummers, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. Wow, that's awesome. It's like, where's that really cool fill coming from? You know. Doo -doo -doo -doo. <laughs> yeah, certainly not our drummer. <laughs> yeah. <okay. laughs> what was his, was your drummer's name? Gary. Yeah, just Gary, kidding. did you play that one lick that yeah. Neil was doing last night? Yeah, time? no, man, it wasn't me. <laughs> So, uh, so then after the Max Webster thing, you, what made you decide to go solo? Did the band sort of want to go their own ways, or did you just make a conscious decision? Okay, it, it was a, it was a typical classic. I got creatively burned out. Um, I got a little tired of being Rush's little brother. Little, you know. Yeah. It didn't seem like the management, the label, or anything really had much interest in us because Rush were doing so well. So we were kind of getting left in the dust. And, you know, you're working your buns off out there. But it was doing okay. It really, you know, kind of, it was at the time, when I think back on it, I probably shouldn't have folded it. But it was me. I just kind of went, I'm burned out. I need a break. Uh, I'm going home. And it was in Memphis. And oh, wow. uh, after Memphis, the Tennessee. Memphis show, I, I flew home and, yeah. and the band was done. We were done. Yeah. Were they ready to take a break too, or what? Yeah, they were kind much? of. We were all kind of tired and 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 uninspired and kind of you know, um, 
Yeah, yeah, I needed a change. I wanted to go home and write. I wanted to assess my life a bit. And it's got, you, can't, you come to those, those points in your life as a musician sometimes where, but it, it wasn't wasn't creative differences. It wasn't anything. It was just more of a burnout, Keach. Yeah. You know? And uh, you were writing a lot with Max Webster then? You kind yeah, of I was developed sole, the writing thing? Yeah, I was just pretty much the sole writer. Terry Watkinson contributed some great stuff. He actually had the more successful radio stuff, but... Um, yeah, and I just went home and grabbed an apartment and and laid started low. Started figuring out what you were going to do next? Yep, started to write and write and write, and, and that's when I sort of wrote all that stuff, Gopher Soda, and all, um, we sort of, rock, you know, rockers, but I didn't want to even do a solo thing. I, I was kind of like waiting for the phone to ring for someone to offer me a gig, like some band yeah. to go, hey, we're looking for a guitar player. Do you want it? And I was like, yeah. I was ready for that. And the phone didn't ring. So I just kind of went, okay, time for... So you did you you not want to be a lead singer at that point? You just wanted to play guitar or, yeah, or just looking yeah, for something different? Yeah, I still do. Yeah. <laughs> I, still, <laughs> yeah. I still, yeah, I'm still waiting for my big break, Keach. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I became singer. Uh, yeah, I became singer in Max Webster yeah. actually out of necessity because you always remember your rehearsal. You're standing around and forming Max Webster and going, "Okay, we're doing a few cover tunes," and the bass player sings. I'm like, "Ooh, that's kind of hurting," and then <laughs> and then the keyboard player same thing. And I'm like, "Ooh, that's kind of hurting." And they're like, "Look at me and go, you want to try it?" And I'm like, "Yeah, sure, I'll try it." And then they're like, "Yeah, that that's." You're the guy. It sounds like, like the story with um, with Genesis, you know, after yeah, after Phil Peter Collins. Gabriel left. Yeah. Phil Collins was kind of just filling yeah. in. It's like, well, until we find another singer, I'll sing. And everybody was like, you got your singer right there, you know, yeah. the whole time. Yeah, you know, we did we did a gig. We opened up for, uh, for Genesis. And I remember Phil Collins and Chester Thompson standing on the side of the stage. And, and at the time, this is a Max Webster gig. And you want stories but that that's sort of one of them yeah. you're, you know you turn you're playing a gig it's outdoors and there's a lot of people 20 some thousand people you turn around your drummer's like really sweating like like more so than than normal it's a hot day so you're thinking <laughs> so finally you know in between songs you, you look back and you, and you go over to him you go hey man you you feeling okay or is everything okay and he sort of does one of those head things where it's like hey over the side of the stage you look over and there's phil collins and chester thompson standing. talking to, about pressure to, yeah two amazing drummers and it's like okay but that happened to me too man opening up for van halen it's like i look over and there's eddie standing on my side of the stage and i'm like oh man look out now man. tell me this story again about you told me one time about you were standing there having a conversation with eddie van halen and what was he doing that distracted oh, your yeah. attention well, it was it was that gig. It was Rochester, and and uh, we did a show with them, and it was in the afternoon, and he he was lovely. It was the Sammy Hagar days, and he uh, they do all their meet and greet stuff before as opposed to after. Mm. So so they're doing all this meet and greet stuff, and we do our set, and and literally, uh, you know, I look over on the side of the stage, and he's standing there watching, and I'm like, oh man, this is like my hero is like there's no pressure here um, were you sweating a lot at that point i was i was really sweating a lot as soon as he was there but then you know you just go hey man this is what i do and you have to believe in yourself you know yeah. that you're, you're out there doing your job and i'm like let's do it i didn't mean to sound like a hockey player there, but like, yeah we're just out there doing our job um and after you know knock on the trailer door and in walks Eddie and Sammy Hagar and just to say hi they didn't have to do that I wasn't expecting that and they come in and Eddie comes right over and he's got his guitar and he's talking and he's just saying hey man really enjoyed your set and blah and he's as he's speaking he's ripping off the most insane stuff on his guitar just not plugged in just like yeah, it's, just like, it's, like, it's just like okay over in this side of the room my <laughs> hands are doing this and over here i'm having a conversation with the guy who just opened up for us and we're just and our our sort of thing was we knew yeah it was billy sheehan he knew billy sheehan and stuff yeah he knew some of those people and i you know so we were talking about people we sort of both knew and yeah. and uh little this kind of small talk and and but I, I was kind of blown away that the fact that, you know, I'm trying to listen to what he's saying. And at the same time, the guitar isn't even plugged in and it just sounded so it's just a little, little, like you're, uh, I remember well, you telling me. It wasn't all shredding. Yeah, there was yeah. some shredding like he did a little bit of that, but it was sort of like just beautiful stuff, too. It's just like, 
oh, this guy's just on a on a on a whole different level, you know. There's there's those musicians who really brought their own. I've always have been a big fan of musicians who own their own piece of real estate. Yeah, right. Musical real estate. No Eddie one can Van do what Halen, they do. Jimi Hendrix, you know right away these people. Um, there's so many guitar players that, that have that, you know, and um, and lots who didn't. You yeah. know, but they serve a purpose too. Guitar players that just are in there to serve a song, a great song. I admire that just as much, you know. Yeah. Um, there's different kinds of melody, I think. You know, there's like when you play a certain kind of melody, like Eddie Van Halen plays a melody, but it's just a different thing than yeah. somebody else, you know. Yeah. And Eddie Van Halen probably couldn't do what you do when you do your music, you know, and he does his thing, you know. So I don't think Eddie would want to do what <laughs> oh, I'm no, doing. Really. <laughs> you're selling yourself short. You are. Yeah. You're a. But he was. He really was a sweetheart, and you know, it's it's such a some cool things happen in your career as a musician, and and one of the other cool things was uh, a tech I knew very well who had worked with me was working with Van Halen. He was doing doing Alex Van Halen. And I ran into him. We did a gig together or something, not with Van Halen. And he goes, oh, he says, Eddie said to say hi. I'm like, wow. <laughs> like, <laughs> just look, you remember yeah. little things like that. Um, other stuff, uh, sitting at a dinner, we're playing with Journey, and it's a crew meal, and you're backstage, and, and like, I'm f kind of fanboying. I was like, that's Neil Sean over there. Like, like <laughs> and, and, and my drummer goes, he probably knows who you are. I'm like, no, he doesn't. I said, I want to go over and say hi to him. So as soon as I pushed my chair out, he pushed his out and came over and went, hi, Kim, how you doing? I really like your work and I'm wanting to meet you. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Stuff wow. like that you remember. It's 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 nice when you're peers, right, Keach? Yeah, right. I'm sure you've had that yourself where, where people you've kind of like, admired and they're kind of iconic to wear your mind and, and all of a sudden say, hey Keach how you doing man nice to meet you hey congratulations like what yeah. I met <laughs> um, Huey Lewis one time and, and I introduced myself and he was doing a thing with RCA we were on the same label and just when I said hi to him and I said I'm with the group Lone Star I said oh yeah yeah I'm a huge fan and I'm like Huey Lewis is a fan of Lone Star that's yeah. totally crazy isn't it amazing yeah but uh, yeah, yeah the people you meet shit. and the, yeah. the fact that they even know you is pretty amazing yeah well, as they should. I mean, Lone Star, you know, you guys were doing great. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, so you were writing and you uh, were writing stuff. Were you writing for a solo project? You just writing, just writing, just let just stuff was just pouring writing. out. Yeah, I was just writing music and then, then uh, started to form my own band because yeah. it's like, okay, I need... I need to make some gotta money. Do here. Something. Yeah. I got to do something. So got out there and and right away um interest came in because we were, we were doing stuff from the from the first album um and akimbo logo and uh, did you produce that or was that a producer no that was done by produced by a guy named nick blagona who has since moved on uh passed away but nick did some deep purple stuff and um so he was he was he was good he was like a lot of fun to work with and did he give you a lot of freedom, and, and or did he yeah, try to rein he, things he in? Was, he was inspiring. He was an inspiring guy to to you know to pulled out good performances and 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 at the time like you know when I listened to that record back I you know it's not my favorite engineered record but he was doing a good job. We'd come in and it wasn't like oh this sounds like terrible. It was like yeah it sounds cool it sounds like a record and you know yeah. so right away so it's good. Now, I don't know if it's just me being a drummer or if everybody can. You can almost judge an era of music by the drums Yep. to me. Like you hear 60s music, the guitars sound good. They sound, you know, amps, vintage, whatever. The amps, the little bit of reverb. But when the drums come in and it sounds like they're in a big open room, well, that sounds kind of like the 60s. Tighter, dry, sort of poofy sounding drums, more like 70s. And mm -hmm. then the 80s when your era, 1985, 1984, yep. big, huge, fat snare and the big explosive toms and all that stuff and yeah. that was that was where you got were you going for that sound or was that kind of a the producer choice or was it just this that's the producer you... choice i i would say though that on a kimbo logo my first uh record the drums weren't huge 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 um he was he could do that but once we started to fill in everything he sort of pulled that that yeah. back a little bit right i mean there was a while there was this like the drums were monstrous and i'm like 
well, there's no room for anything else, you know? Right. And he kind of went, yeah, yeah, okay, just let me pull down these room mics and let me take to right. back off some compression. He says, more like that. And I'm like, yeah, I think that feels a little better. So, you know, it was good that way. He'd listen to what we had to say a little Paul bit. Paul DeLong. I had him on my podcast um, yeah. a, a, oh, you about did? a year ago. So well, it was last uh, last summer, I think, or oh, something. Oh, good, good. And, uh, Paul's lovely. Man. Great guy, man. I went yeah. over to his house, and he invited me in, and we set up and talked about drums and about oh, recording yeah. and recording with you and things like that. Paul, Paul's a, interesting. I'm glad you did that. Paul's a, a, a real self-deprecating guy. I mean, <laughs> he. I don't know. I'll, I'll try and keep it clean, but he'd always say, "Oh, I'm a. Oh, never mind. He said, I'm a blah blah blah, and I don't know what I'm talking about. So don't listen to me. It's like, no, Paul, you actually do know what you're talking about. Like, yeah. He's I mean, he's, he's just a, one of those guys that. It's it, it's the difference. I remember. Recently, my last record working in Los Angeles with Craig Wells, who was in my band at 17. As soon as I went there in Los Angeles, we started tracking my new record. And he goes, he goes, I'm, I'm reminded of, of, and he hasn't been, he hasn't been, I mean, he is a Canadian, but he's, he's like, it's amazing. He goes to listen to you because he said, the first thing you said after you played something was, oh, I'm sorry, I could have done that better. He said, whereas in America, if you were an American, you'd be going, isn't that great? Like, <laughs> isn't that awesome, man? Like, First listen take. to that. It's fantastic. I did that in one take. It's just, Canadians are more like, oh, yeah, man, sorry. I, I could have done sorry, that I, away. <laughs> but the, the, the polite, overly polite Canadian, what did they oh, make the man, joke yeah. on some movie where it said, the overly polite Canadians. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think that. I think there's a point there um, that I meant to say uh, about playing like that is is that what I enjoy about music is that those imperfections in there. When I hear somebody do a solo or a drummer playing and he hits the rim instead of the thing, I love that stuff. I love errors errors because it sounds real to me. Yeah, Keech, um, I hear you, and I'm on that page. Uh, It's... it's, uh, And... You know, I just experienced that feeling recently, just at home having a, a casual night watching, you know, because it was COVID and everything, and watching TV, and, and all of a sudden they see on YouTube, oh, Greta Van Fleet at um, at uh, Red Rocks. So you turn it on, and, and you're watching, and, you know, we're, we're more seasoned musicians. Yeah, right. and, okay. yeah. and here's these kids that are just so rough around the edges and just like... But just meaning every millisecond of it. And it's yeah. just, it was such a beautiful thing to listen to and watch. And you're right. You make such a good point that music is about momentum. It's, it, you know, who's, I, I can't even remember who said this, but music confounds machines. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and machines will never be able to do what a human being, they'll never be able to transmit the same energy. Right. And it's what keeps generations, young generations, going back to to even going, hey, man, have you heard this band Led Zeppelin? Like, let's, <laughs> right. You know? Like, yeah. So I'm 16-year-old going, wow, what, what is this? You know? You is know, that Credit Fan Fleet? <laughs> it's like, I you know. recently listened to um, Superstition by, um, by Stevie Wonder. And I had it on somehow in my car. I had it on repeat or something, and it came on, and I listened to the whole thing. You know how it starts out with the drums. That's him playing. Yeah. And then by the end of the song, it's pretty cooking. I mean, tempo-wise. And then it started again. It's like it sort of faded out for a second, and then it started again. And the tempo was like, wow, what song is this? You know. And it just reminds you that nobody ever one time ever said that, Oh, that's terrible! Did you hear how he was sped up there at the end? Do you, you want a, Do you want another? Do you want another song? Honky Tonk Women? Is that what you're going to say? Yeah. Yes. I've well, heard that, yeah. yeah, Chuck Lavelle. I yeah. I spoke with Chuck Lavelle, who's a keep you know their longtime piano player, and I said, Chuck, what what song, man? Do you think that the Stones could have done better? <laughs> right. <laughs> and he yeah. goes, he's real careful. You know, he goes, yeah. okay. Honky Tonk Women. Yeah. I'm like, w- why? He goes, because he says, you know, Charlie is like a, a clock, but on that, it started at one tempo yeah. and the song ends like really fast. And yeah. he goes, obviously, it didn't hurt the song. And I'm like, right. you know, exactly. and he, but but he's like, he, and so I, I've done that. If you want to try that sometime, put on Honky Tonk yeah. Women and then go skip it right to the end. It's a yeah. completely different tempo. So, yeah, but it, it's funny how nobody ever said, 
that it was a terrible song because the drums sped up or whatever. You know, it's just like it's just Never. it's human. It's like what, a human being. What a what a great point to make. And and um, you're dealing in a world of country where it's that world is is really groove corrected, pitch mm-hmm. corrected. Right. Um, you know, and I'm not I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm I'm. It's just it's a reality that has existed for a while now to the point where um, even myself as a musician, I'll listen back to some of my records the other day, you know, just because I'm getting ready to play again. So I'm going through some records and I'm listening to some stuff and going and all of a sudden I'm going, wow, I didn't notice that second verse jumped in tempo like that. Cause, you know what I mean? And, and wow, man. I'm singing really flat there, was, like stuff like that. But at the time, it's it's, you know, I I don't know how, you know, Keach. This is this is a, a a conversation I'm sure many musicians and producers and engineers have, and labels and is it where does it all sit? You know, where yeah. where where does the conversation end up being? Well, this is what people want to hear. Do they? I think they. I think they want to be moved by yeah. by musical energy. That's that's there. Sure. You know, there's a. Master. I think there's a place for both. I think there is in a, place. a way. It's, it's like here's an agreed. analogy. You could have a brand new like the the latest like Tesla or something like that. But people also like classic cars too. And somebody that has a lot of money or whatever would have just as much pleasure owning a 1968 Corvette or a or a pickup truck or a brand new Tesla. There's kind of like, I think of the brand new Tesla as like the um, Pro Tools recorded song with the grid and everything's like, there's a drum loop and everything's just so perfect, but yeah. there's a feel there that's kind of, you, you don't think, you don't, it doesn't take attention away from your, the lyrics or something, you know, because it's so right. perfect. But then as soon as something happens with the drums or a fill or something, it kind of, makes you think away from it a little bit. That's right. right. Yeah, that's that's a really good... You're making a good point. And now I feel better. <laughs> right. Because, because sometimes I find, as a musician, I have a little bit too much of, a, of an edge on for the overly perfected uh, thing, you know? It's like sometimes, you know, I sit there and go, oh, man, when was the last time you heard a vocal out of tune? Well, you can. You, yeah, there's there's sure. the Roots rock bands out there. They're kind of, you know, a folk singer or whatever, you know. But, I mean, that used to be the true test before, like, um, the computer, before, yeah. you know, auto-tune or whatever. Yeah. You had to be a good singer. You had yeah. to be able to sing on key, at least on a record. That's you know? right. I'd heard people live that didn't sing on key, but that sounded great on their record. You know, at least that's why they call a recording artist. Because when they go in the studio to record, there's an art there, you know, and you've got to sound exactly, good. Exactly, exactly. And and that's what I'm saying. Iconic singers, they they had something that was, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. And but but you're right, when... though. On the other hand, there's singers in hip-hop or pop, you know, new pop that, that are auto-tuned and compressed to, to the daylights out, but there's just some sort of way they're... They're, you know, moving the melody around and stuff like that. That's that's cool. It's working. It's working with the beats. Yeah, right. right? It's 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 all it's all cool. I guess it's all cool. It's all art. I'm just glad I'm a guitar player that kind of hacks around and you know, yeah. for, you know. Yeah. Um. So your new album. I was listening to your new album a little bit. Uh, the big fantasize, and uh, we were just talking about that a few years ago when we were just having a chat. I think it was 2004. 15 or 16 and you were uh, no I'm sorry it was later it was it was when Michael Britt and I were coming through mm-hmm. Ontario and we had lunch with you and you were talking I said what's coming up what's going on you said we're working on a new record and that record now is called The Big Fantasize mm-hmm. and so I was listening to it and it's just I have to say uh, it has a more mellow vibe than I was expecting you know yeah 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 um, and in a good way I love oh, it oh, well thank you and and it does have a, a more mellow vibe a more grown up vibe maybe um because the producer who got interested in that was Greg Wells. He's a Grammy Award-winning producer in Los Angeles. And as I said, at 17, he played in my band, and then he moved to Los Angeles. He's had incredible success. Um, he paid me a visit uh, in Canada, because he's from Canada, and he was up visiting. And, and he said, 
I, I you know, did the sh the key of shame thing. I gave him a little <laughs> USB key with some demos on it, and he got a hold of me a couple weeks later and went, "Please come to Los Angeles." He said, "This is a side of you that you do really well that." People need to be exposed more. He says, I'd be into producing this record. And I said, Greg, I can't afford you. And he says, no, let's worry about that later. He says, I right. want to record this stuff with you. So that's what happened. So, yeah. You went to Los Angeles to record it? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That's yeah, he had, his, he had his own studio. Man. Was it just a know, session drummer I'm, that played on that stuff? Because the drums are great in that. Some of that stuff is just amazing. Greg Wells played. Oh, is he's that right? He's the drummer on he's it. He's the drummer he's on it. engineers. He's drums. He, wow. play, he plays keyboards. It's just like... The guy's a multi-instrumentalist that's just ridiculous. So That is awesome. Um, there's a couple of songs I wanted to uh, talk about on there. Um, one of them was, well, Red Dawn, Red, Red Horizon. Red, Red Horizon. Horizon. Yep. You had actually given me a demo of that song. I don't know if you remember that or not. You no. gave me a demo of it that had, it was sort of up-tempo, and it, it, it oh, you were yeah. pitching it to Lone Star, I believe, at, at years ago. And that's I still right. have that on my iTunes. It pops oh, up every once right, in a while. Right, and I was okay. like, oh, yeah, I remember that song. And then I saw it on the album, on the Big Fantasize. I thought, oh, and I, I wonder if he just took the demo and, like, uh, expanded on it or whatever. And no, you did a completely different, broken down, yep. softer version of it, you know, yeah. same lyrics. I do remember that now. Um, it did, There, you know, that's, that's another thing that, that maybe the musicians listening that... You write songs. The Beatles went through this too. You just do different versions of stuff, right? You go, okay, well, that's, that's kind of cool. But then maybe a year later or six months later, you go, I'm going to try it just like this. And yeah. sometimes it takes a while. It, I always try to do the analogy that songwriting and song recording and getting a song to where it's finished is like going up a mountain and trying to get to the other side yeah and right. sometimes that's a short short journey and sometimes but sometimes it's like oh it's going to do a different version of that and that's what happened with red horizon but what um, is that song about what is red horizon about what like it's what were about, you thinking? okay red horizon is a as a song about someone who's has to change their life what's 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 used to work for them isn't working anymore maybe it's because i don't say anything about addiction i don't say anything about you know people who get into trouble with their whatever it's, kind of and it's something like and red horizon uh on that red horizon seven horses come my way it's 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 the i always like images keach mm -hmm. keach and um so it's the image of the horses are the impending you know the mm -hmm the the change that's going to happen these oh. horses are galloping up and, and this person's like sitting at night and the sun's coming up slowly and and he, and he hears the horse he or she hears the horses coming and that's the whole life their life has to change wow now and it's sort of making that decision and that choice so um did that happen for you was that a personal thing i think did it that? happens so, to all of us at oh, some point right. right whether it's going to be a, a divorce or um a sickness you're dealing with or just a challenge that you have in your life all of a sudden right? Yeah. that you have to yeah so that that's so you take I, inspiration in your writing from yeah just anywhere or? and i pitched it to you guys and yeah. so thanks for not using it so i could <laughs> you know sorry about that you know i pitched another song no sit down I pitched another song. We got your dog here. To, uh, yeah. um, your to, dog's name is uh webster yeah of all I, I pitched another song once to uh well, I didn't pitch it actually. I got a call one day from Billy Sheehan. He goes, he says, "Yeah, I'm here with David Lee Roth. This is when David Lee Roth left Van Halen." He goes, right. "Yeah, I'm sitting here with Ted Temple and David Lee Roth. We're, we're cutting your tune, Kids in Action." I'm like, "What?" <laughs> he goes, "Yeah, yeah." He says, "What are the words of the second verse?" And I'm like shaking now. All of a sudden, like in ten seconds, I'm like, "What?" Wow. I, you know, who is what this? Is and I, I could tell it was Bill on the on the line. <laughs> so, so. But it That's got cool. it got so it got smoked. On, on it got end. smoked by Tobacco Road. <laughs> up and oh, up. It did, no, so yeah, they didn't so, end up using it. Yeah, yeah. But it's recorded. He sent me the track sheet. I'm like, oh, wow, okay, cool. give me proof. And so there it was, man. Dave's vocal, kids in action. You know, blah, blah, blah. I can imagine them sitting around the studio, you know, trying to figure it out and go, and him going, oh, wait a minute, I have Kim's number. Let me call him real quick. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Good thing wow. I picked up. Anyway, my almost moment, Keith. Your almost moment, yeah, <laughs> written by Ken Mitchell. Yeah, my second one was, you know, you guys doing Red Horizon. There you anyway. go. Um, so there was another one I liked on there, Too Up To Be Down. Oh. That drums on that. It's just like, man, oh, it cool. sounds so good. That's great. That. Yeah, that's a, yeah. somebody you know, Greg Morrow. Yeah, right. 
You know Greg Morrow? I know Greg. He's, I do. Yeah, he's he's a Nashville guy, right? Played drums on it. Yeah. Oh, that's really? him. he's oh. playing drums on that one. Yeah, oh, Greg. Greg's cool. played on a couple of my albums, uh, Itch, and uh, he played on uh, Oral Fixations. And I think you were like. telling me that a, a couple of years ago. You said you talked about a guy from Nashville, a drummer yeah. that did, yeah. you liked. He's with Bob Seger now. He's oh wow! Yeah, yes. Oh, and the, there's one song on there I thought the best I ever had. Best I never had. Yeah, best I never had. Yep. And that to me is this to me was like Southern rock. That was like, I don't know what it is about that song, but it sounds like something Atlanta rhythm section would end oh, up with. You know what I mean? Really? It had that real kind of Southern rock feel to it. Like totally. Oh, oh interesting. Yeah. Almost Skinnered. Like if really? you get a chance, you've got to pick up this album, the big fantasize. It's a great record. You can get it on Spotify. That's where I listen to I it hope on Spotify. So. Yeah. I don't know if you can in the States, you know, the whole Canada, us thing that's kind of messed up. Mm. Uh, that way but yeah try well if you can get it you should check it out it's a great great thank you album. thanks man so what's in, what's coming up in the future for you um just try and stay alive and, yeah. and get out and tour you know i think we're all uh you and i are talking at a time when this is kind of you know hopefully we can all get out and play again and, yeah and uh we'll see we'll see how it goes that's that's all i'm doing I'm, Still writing and, and doing no, all this stuff. Do you co-write or do you just by yourself? I, I like I like to write with a, somebody else. Yeah, you know, yeah, I've always liked to do that. Throw some ideas around. Yeah, I'm a Cancerian, and, and I read long ago that Cancerians don't make good poets. So I always like get somebody okay. to help me with the lyrics. There you go. Yeah, there's a lot of co-writing goes on in Nashville. And you? That's a big thing. You guys going out? Uh, we're yeah. We just worked up a new show. Uh, we have a new lead singer um, with us now. Uh, um, Drew Womack, uh, who mm -hmm. used to be with a band called Sons of the Desert. Great singer, great guy, oh, nice. great great dude. And uh, we worked up a brand new show. He's been with us a year now. So it was like last March. And so this is March. So, um, yeah, it was about right about a year ago he he joined. And we, it, you know, limited touring here and there with yeah. the COVID thing. And then uh, now we're getting pretty pretty busy for this summer. Oh, I'm booked, happy to hear really that, busy. man. And, the, and, and it's nice to hear you talk about, I, I think, what what is... People might not understand. Well, I'm, I'm sure you do, but it's important in in what we do for a living that the hang is good. Yeah, exactly. Right? You know, to, to to have people, you're spending so much time, and there's only a couple hours on stage. The rest right. of the time is you're running on into each other in restaurants yeah. <laughs> on the bus, and you know, sitting in an airport. And I'm not complaining. I'm just going, yeah. you know, you, you can't have a can't have a, a, can't a have jerk. A, yeah, you can't have a jerk. <laughs> Don't be like, that guy. <laughs> I, you know, I'll I'll take a musician that's, you know, sort of fits in okay, but maybe not virtuoso. Yeah, I'd rather have that than some virtuoso who's got his nose yeah. up in the air. And, it's hard to get along with. And yeah, yeah, you about. know what I'm saying. Yeah. The hang is important, man. Very important. Well, Drew is a great guy. Drew's a great singer and a great hang. And um, he's uh, he came from the same place we did in Texas, you know, Dallas, Texas area, playing those clubs yeah. and stuff in the oh, yeah. early to mid '90s and that kind of thing, you mm -hmm. know, and um, came up the same clubs and the same people and the same sort of nucleus. There was a nucleus of about I want to say 25 to 30 musicians in Dallas, Fort Worth area, and some in Oklahoma that all migrated to Nashville in the early '90s because that's when kind of the club sort of dried up a little bit started using djs and things like that yeah, you know instead yeah. of live bands yeah, yeah. so the live business kind of got real slim so everybody's like i'm going to nashville so they there's a whole bunch of texans that live so you've been and, there since since mm -hmm. what yeah. the 80s you're saying uh, uh no no uh 90 94 is when oh, okay. i moved okay yeah so in the early 90s when it was still affordable yeah right exactly <laughs> yes yeah um and I was one of the lucky few that actually had a job, like a job offer to come to Nashville with a gig, you know, oh, instead nice. of like come there and stay with a friend and, you know, work tables or, you know, like yep. um, bus tables until you get a gig or, or play in these little cover bands on Broadway, which are really amazing. Now, if you go down Broadway uh, in Nashville, down up and down Broadway, all okay. the bands, there's like a band next door to every... Yeah. Every bar has a band in it, you know. Right. And they always put the drummer right up by the window. So when you walk by the window, you see the back of the drummer right there, and then the stage is facing in and that kind of thing. So it's kind of a cool thing to walk up and down and hear all these different bands playing at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Do you Are, are you doing any, like, session stuff, too? Do you get called for that sometimes? Yeah, yeah. yeah. mostly, well, with COVID, it's been people will send me a song, and then I have yep. my own little home basement studio, oh, you and got I just that. record okay. drums and send yep. it to them, yeah. Yep. Yep. Do you know Tom Bukovac? 
Yeah, I do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He he played on one of our records, uh, Mountain the Mountains record, I believe, um, which was in about two thousand seven, six, seven, right. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm just a huge fan of his. And, oh, really? Know, discovered him on YouTube, and and he's friends with uh, Greg Morrow as well. And, oh, right. And uh, we had a little email back and forth there for a little bit, and and uh, I'm just a massive fan because. You know, in the world of, of shredding crazy guitar players, I mean, he can kind of do that, but he's all about, I just love his philosophy. It's like, he goes, man, and it's the same as, as Greg Wells. It's like, if there's a vocal, it's the most important thing on the song. Yeah. So always support whatever you're playing, wrap it around the vocal. Support you're, the you're song, not, yeah. Yeah, you're not there to, in his career, you're not there to, Hey, I'm Tom Bugaback. Watch what I can do. You're about what's this song about? And he and I love the way he goes. I'm I in in a session. I have the vocal cranked. You know, all the other guys are like, you know, the vocals kind of in there. And he says, no man. He says it's like so loud. He says because everything I play is around the vocal. And yeah. I just love I love that attitude. And he's such a talented musician. Wow, Greg. I heard a story that um, Jeff Beccaro, God rest his soul. Um, yeah. was in a, um, a session, and I think it was Rita Coolidge. And he actually said uh, at one point, can you take Rita out of my cans? And that offended her really bad. I was listening to her audiobook. That offended her so much that she fired him. Yeah. That at the end of the day, she said, well, I won't need you anymore. Because that was yeah. just kind of a crappy thing to do. Even though he's doing his thing and he's trying to... But like you said, I think the vocal is important, and you should you should support the song and support the story and the vocal and that kind of thing. Yeah, right yeah, uh, yeah, that's just, no kidding. Like, what she's doing is is the main focus. Yeah. And what you play and, and with every instrument, you want to you be wrapping it around the singer and complimenting that. Yeah. Unless their time and pitch is all over the place, yeah. which, I don't know. Might have been the case. But it might yeah. have been the case. Maybe playing to a click and she's ahead and it's like kind of distracting. And, yeah. you know, who, who knows? I don't know, but... I understand. I see her side too. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's not like he was a hack. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? He like, was like the best. You know, he he had a method of what he did. But, yeah. Um, yeah. That's maybe, unfortunate. You know. Yeah. For both. You know. So, um, what do you think about um, the music of today? Like the uh, what's happening in music today? I, I know we talked about it earlier that young kids are kind of saying, "What happened to this?" Led Zeppelin type stuff that how come we don't have that same stuff is it because of music has become kind of disposable and kind of throwaway it's so easy you, to make music now in your living room that all, it's like not a big deal all of the above uh, um, I really believe that kind of like you and I and I, I, I don't mean to date us but we don't have the keys anymore you know the, the thing that I love about music is and being a musician my whole life is that new blood comes in, new generations, and they all have a new cool way that they want to say stuff and the way they want to play. So that's a beautiful thing. I may not be a fan of some of it and and might not totally understand why they're doing it, but at the same time, I can listen to it and go, yeah, I, I see why this is. You know, which which I'm happy I at least recognize what they're doing and and does that make sense? Yeah, right. You know, so uh, like like electronic dance music, for example. You know, I mean that that stuff's on in a gym all the time, and after ten minutes, I'm totally friggin' annoyed by it. You know, <laughs> yeah. but at the same time, I, you know, I can listen to it for ten minutes and go, yeah. I get what's going on. There's somebody kind of, out there that buys of, all those albums. Exactly. That, that, or that, you know, that, could, that has a steady diet of it. Exactly. The only head scratcher, and, and you know what? Some of your people will hate me. The only thing that makes me scratch my head are DJs. Like, right. there's a guy or a girl up on stage and you're playing like stuff that's been pre recorded and yeah, you're acting like you're playing it. It's yeah. like, it kind of scratches my head and there's like, you know, 40,000 people and this yeah. guy's walking away with like, more money than God at the end of the night. And 
You're yeah. just kind of like spinning these little machines. It's like, I'm not sure yeah. I'm, that scratches my head, but it is what it is. Like, yeah. accept it, man. It's, I it's, totally agree. It's I was watching something on YouTube. as a, a girl from France. Her name's Amelie, of all names. Oh, That's sweet. my daughter's name. Um, her name's Amelie. She's a DJ. And she was up there, and there was, like you said, like, like 30, 40,000 people under a bridge or something and yeah. in this big parking lot area or something. And it's a big, this big pump party the same tempo it had to be the same tempo like 120 beats per minute whatever all the way for like an hour and a half and the whole concert and she's up there with a headphone on dancing around and acting like she's pushing buttons and things like that and you know it'll the beat will kind of change a little bit here and there but it's basically the same tempo for all this time and i'm like what are you doing you're just turning knob but like yeah, it's pretty <laughs> weird. People are like, "Oh yeah, yeah we paid money to get in here." So uh, you know, yeah. okay, yeah. If you want to think of me as an old geezer or something like that right now, but but uh, it's the only thing that makes me scratch my head. You yeah. know, like there's there's great pop, hip hop. You know, yeah. I, you know, even rap. You know, the word rap, which stands for rhythm and poetry. As a drummer, you you must respect that. Yeah. That genre that art form it's like man you know when i hear um you know when i hear guys like like eminem it's just it's brilliant or even you know like old school buster rhymes that guy's like a a drum it took solo. some time to it's like i'm sitting there going rhythmically this is like brilliant stuff man so yeah um, and those DJ things, I wonder if that whole audience there that's, that's jumping up and down and doing that, do they really think that they're making that music? I mean, are they fooling them? And it's like, hey, okay. I'm really making this music. Here's what I, here's what little <laughs> I know about it. Is it their music or is yeah, it is it all pre-recorded? I no like, idea. I think they're making some of it. it I think they're they've yeah. at home made some sort of loops and stuff, but I think a lot of it is. Yeah, I think it's pre-recorded loops that they are controlling different yeah. elements of with some yeah. faders or something like yeah. that. You know, yeah, right. <laughs> Listen you know, to us. They're sort hey, of mixing it. <laughs> hey, what are they doing? <laughs> hey, well, that music they're making is really great. It sounds so good. Yeah, well, they're just uh, maybe you know, and there's a small part of me is jealous that like one person can could walk up on stage like that, play some machines and 40,000 people and walk up. Yeah, well, that was a cool 5 million I just made, you know? Oh, right. See you guys. Yeah. It's like I no just recorded production, some stuff no, in GarageBand. No, nothing. And... It's just like, you know, from a little, give me a, what do you need? I need a table and a case of beer. That's all I need. Get me a table. Some really loud be, speakers. Okay. Ta- table has to be six feet long and I need a, I need lots of outlets so, so I can me plug an, my an stuff cord. in. <laughs> And uh, make sure you have these, this many lights. And... Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's the rider. It's an extension cord, a <laughs> yeah. six-foot table, and it's a, a different, case of beer. It's a diff- different-looking rider than ours. And right? green Jeez. M&Ms, right? Green M&Ms. <laughs> that's right, yeah. Um, do you have other interests? Uh, do you read? Are you writing? Anything like writing? No, uh, do I have besides other interests? Music? Well, uh, a little interest in... in you know, automobiles a little bit. I don't have a collection. I just have a one one car that I like. But yeah, it's sort of a little bit of that. I've done a little bit of stuff on the track. Like you know, racing? I don't okay. race. We don't call it racing. It's oh, called okay. driver development, Keach. Driver development. Okay. <laughs> okay. So that's the political, politically correct uh, that's word. Right. That's right. So they're, they're driving clubs that, you know, that's buy cool. track time and, and there's flag marshals and there's instructors so you basically take your own car there and you just drive as fast as you can you can rent one well oh i see yeah no i take my car i take my own car because i like you know yeah i've done done it for four or five years and that sounds so fun and i and i find it um it's really nice because of the concentration level it takes uh you can't let your concentration wander a second or you're in trouble right so it's exhausting mentally and physically and yet at the end of the day i'm driving home with a big smile on my face and and uh until you know you wake up the next day and you go okay well new brakes and tires and a tank of gas right now which isn't cheap <laughs> oh man yeah okay got to rethink that oh, this yeah, year. Right. Yeah. maybe it's time to sell <laughs> get an electric yeah. do they have a tesla uh, track <laughs> yeah i'm sure they do yeah. have you ever been in a tesla recently like I, they I can go from zero the, to i have been in the tesla and i've oh, been in the God. porsche uh take on um we were in a tesla the other day we had a runner uh that took us from the hotel to the to the gig and she had a tesla uh one of the new ones you know and yeah. she said well, let me put it in she called it like ludicrous mode or something like that you can hit these different speed launch modes. control yeah, launch, yeah. yeah launch control, and she yeah. hit this thing 
And uh, she said, okay, hang on. You know, yeah. everybody got their seatbelts on. We were at a stop sign and there wasn't anybody in front yeah. of us. So she, and I believe she said it could go from zero to 60 in 2.8 seconds. Yeah, that's, that's and I was awesome. like, wow. Yeah. And she just about did that. And I mean, it just plastered us to our seats. It was yeah. a rush. Yeah. Um, the torque on those things is so heavy that for about a second and a half, and I've felt this is my vision kind of goes a bit weird for right. about a yeah. second and a half, right? You got mm. your eyes and the blood and everything just kind of get shot to the back of your head. So I'm not sure what the necessity of all that torque is, but that's just because an electric motor doesn't spool up. It just goes right. bang. It's and not I think like, it had some kind of a ramp up mode. Like you would think that with all that power, the tires would, would squeal, would spin, but it all had kind drive. of a quick little like ramp up. Like it went like real yeah. fast. Yeah, it's real fast. <laughs> so it didn't spin. It didn't. The tires yeah. didn't spin at all. Yeah, um, crazy. I know some people who have them, and um, yeah, they they like them, and it's a great concept. Um, but they they're not. Yeah, they even the owners are saying this isn't this isn't perfect yet. You know. Oh yeah. Right. You know that's all they're saying. That's people I know, but you know. I don't want to start going in that to that because you start getting your, your comment section going. Yeah, right. Well, so good to have you here and talking thanks, to you. And, uh, thanks, Thanks nice for coming by. Yeah, man. And uh, we're going to try and catch you live sometime if we can. No, I'm going to do the same with you. Okay. Man. Okay, thanks. See you.